0: Advent always seems to sneak up on us. Um, It does me anyway. uh, You know, you get done with that big, great uh, Thanksgiving celebration, and all of a sudden, oh, it's Advent. (laughs) Um, Get all the Christmas decorations out and and, and get going. Um, I don't know about you, but um, when we were about, Becky and I were about to, uh, trying to figure out what we would name our daughter, um, it was a stressful time. Choosing names uh, for babies can be, can be stressful. Um, I mean, that uh, perfect name, right? Um, so what Becky and I did when we were trying to decide the name for our, our daughter was we went to Barnes and Noble, um, and we took a couple of those books at Barnes and Nobles, you know, ones filled with all these different names and Um, I grabbed a book, and I started at the um, uh, end of the alphabet with Z names. There's not very many of them, so I can get through those pretty fast. Um, Becky started with the front of the alphabet. She started with the A names, and uh, we met somewhere in in the middle. Um, You know, we did that because we we realized names are significant. Names, they connect memories and hope and, and promise and and power, uh, past and, and future. Choosing a name, <laughs> I mean, that's a major step in shaping a, a child's identity. Choosing a name is the beginning of, of, of charting a child's future. Choosing a name, I mean, when, when you think about it, it, it it's serious business. You Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 tells us that God gave Jesus the name that is above every name, And that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we come and we need to ask, what is it about that name Jesus? That makes it head and shoulders above every other name. Why is it that the mere mention of Jesus' name, every knee will bow and surrender? Uh, To attempt to answer those questions, um, what we're going to do during this Advent season is we are going to look at some of the names of Jesus as we anticipate celebrating his birth, you know, on, on Christmas Day. It's good to get to know him, who he is what those names show about him. According to Gruden's uh, concordance, there are 198 different names and titles of Jesus in Scripture. <laughs> so obviously, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to uh, look at every one of them, um, but we are going to take a deep dive into five of the names that Jesus has given in the New Testament. The Word, the Chief Cornerstone, the Bridegroom, The Morning Star and the Lamb of God. We're going to take a look at each one of those um, each week as we uh, lead up to Christmas and then Christmas Eve, the Lamb of God. Now, each one of those names, I think as we look at them, they shine a different light on a unique quality of of Jesus that makes him the one that uh, everyone in the end, in heaven and on earth and even under the earth, everyone, will confess as Lord. So this morning, um, we're going to begin with the name, The Word. So I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 this morning. Because here in the very first uh, verse of John's gospel, we find this very unique and powerful name for Jesus, Jesus. Um, The Word. Look with me. Verse 1. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, to those who have been raised in the church, you know, we might not realize how radical um, this introduction of Jesus really is here. But you got to understand, to those who are reading, these words, John's gospel in that first century, I mean, this was a shocking claim that John was making here. To them, (laughs) I mean, to those in the first century, think about it, to them, Jesus was just a carpenter from Nazareth. It was just a regular Jewish guy. Um, He had been um, circumcised as a baby like all the other Jewish guys, you know? He had worshiped with his fellow Jews at the uh, synagogue and at the temple, just like every other Jewish guy had. I mean, Jesus, to them, he wasn't some epic hero or ancient legend. No, basically, to them, Jesus was yesterday's headlines. So why does John give uh, Jesus this name, the word? And, and why would that be so shocking to them? <laughs> Well, it's because of what John is saying by using that name. John is saying that Jesus, the Word, is eternally God. I mean, he does this in in three um, power-packed phrases there in that first verse. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, that's the first uh, phrase. You have to understand the tense of that word, uh, was here, means was continuing. Okay, in the Greek it means was continuing. Um, or as one person uh, puts it, um, Jesus always was wasing. <laughs> always was was-ing. Um, That is, there was never a time when Jesus Christ did not exist. He existed before um, he was born, he existed before anything was ever created, he had no beginning. Now, I have to admit, if I I really try to think about this for too long, i got to tell you, my head begins to hurt. (laughs) Um, Because John is telling us that if we look backward until time disappears and our imaginations collapse in exhaustion, it's at that point where we have to begin talking about Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus shares God's eternity. And listen, that's just the first phrase of John's introduction. (laughs) Now, if you're still with me, let's try the second phrase. He says, and the word was with God. Again, was means was continually. So Jesus has always been there. There has never been a time that he was not with God. Jesus was eternally with God. The word with here literally means towards. Um, It's the idea of of, of nearness. One um, commentator suggests that saying that the father and son were continually, you know, face to face. Um, That is to say there was always existed this deepest um, equality and intimacy there in, in, in the Trinity. Again, you know, my mind it, it struggles just to fully comprehend all, all of this. Jesus and the Father have always, without beginning and, and without end, enjoyed a perfect, joyous intimacy. Jesus shares God's eternity, and Jesus was eternally with God. And then we come to the third and climatic uh, uh, phrase here in this first uh, uh, verse, and the word was God. Now, the exact meaning here is that Jesus was God in essence and in character. Um, he was God in every way, though he was a separate person from God the Father. Jesus was and is God continually. Jesus was and is one with God. See, Jesus shares God's eternity. Jesus was eternally with God, and Jesus was one with God. Three shocking statements, John says, and puts them all in one single incredible sentence. <laughs> but listen, John has just gotten started. you got to understand this. Next, he tells us that Jesus, the Word, is the creator. Notice what, what uh, John tells us here in, in verse 3. He says, um, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What what he's doing here is two different times, in two different ways, uh, John tells us the same thing. First, he says it positively. He says, all things were made through him. And then he turns around and he, and he gives it in, in a negative sense. Uh, without him was not anything made uh, that was made, <laughs> John, uh, John's statement here about Christ as a creator is in line with Genesis chapter one, verse one, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the universe out of what? Nothing. All of creation came to be not out of some pre-existing material or or, or something else, you know, but out of non-existence, out of nothing. Stephen Hawking once wrote, The eventual goal of science is to provide a single theory that describes the whole universe. (laughs) From the biblical perspective, that single theory is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Word, is the originator of all things. Next, John reveals us that Jesus, the Word, is the Savior. From verses 4 through 13, um, the dominant metaphor that John uses here to describe Christ is the image of light. In fact, look with me, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then in verse 8, he was not the light. He's talking there about John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Um, now, certainly in the physical realm, we can say that Jesus Christ, as the creator of the universe, was, who was with God and, and, and who was God, is the giver of light. Since, you know, from the very beginning, he created light. But John here, see, is not emphasizing the physical light. What John is doing here is he's talking about the spiritual life-giving light. Let me try to explain it this way. Um, most people, when you, you know, in your Christmas shopping, you go to the mall, you, most people that you see there at the mall, they, they look alive, right? <laughs> but in reality, they are dead. And if you tell them they're dead, they, they will think that, um, listen, you're crazy. You, you've lost your mind. But if you substitute spiritual blindness and darkness for deadness, then you see what John means here. Because people are not dead because they can't talk or or, or walk or, or, or take a breath. They are dead because seeing, they do not see. They don't see Jesus as supremely valuable. They don't see his sacrifice as precious. They don't see his fellowship as their greatest treasure. They walk in darkness. And if they are going to see these things, what they need is they need life. Because life brings with it light. And light makes seeing possible. Yet sadly, the majority of mankind has rejected the light. As John says, they have not understood it. But those who have received the light, they have become children of God. In fact, look with me down at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Um, I think about that. I mean, what a tremendous truth that, that is. God's answer to our deadness and blindness is his life-giving Light, Jesus, the word. Do you remember what Jesus told uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3? He says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You can't see God's kingdom, so you can't receive it. So you can't enter it. <laughs> Everything hang, hangs on being born again, receiving the light of life, which is Jesus. So I need to ask you this morning, you know, do you know this Jesus? Do you know him who is the Word? Only in Jesus is there salvation because only through him can our deadness be replaced with life and our blindness be replaced with light. Jesus is eternal God. He is creator, he is savior. But I got to tell you, John's next statement is probably the most significant and memorable of them all. Its truth is a mystery. It's also the heart of the gospel. Look with me at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. (laughs) Um, Jesus, think about this, who existed with the Father, who was one with the Father, who was eternally God, now becomes one of us. Jesus, the word, God in flesh. You know, I think it's very interesting here that John uses that word flesh. I mean, he had a lot of other choices of words that he he, he could have used. I mean, he could have used the word man, or, he, I mean, he could have used the word body. But he chose that word flesh. Why? I think it's because That word stands for the whole person. It refers to human existence in its frailty and and, and vulnerability. Philip Yancey tries to capture this incredible truth in his book, um, The Jesus I Never Knew. He he writes it this way. He says, I learned about the incarnation when I kept a uh, saltwater aquarium. Management of marine aquarium, uh, I discovered, is no easy task. I had to run a portable chemical laboratory to monitor the nitrate levels and the ammonium cart, uh, content. I pumped in vitamins and antibiotics and sulfur drugs and enough enzymes to make a rock grow. I filter the water through glass fibers and charcoal and expose it to ultraviolet light. You would think that, in view of all the energy I expended on their behalf, that my fish would at least be grateful. Not so. No, every time my shadow loomed above the tank, they dove for cover in the nearest shell. They showed me only one emotion, fear. (laughs) Although I opened the lid and dropped in food on a regular schedule, I mean, three times a day, they responded to each visit as a sure sign of my designs to torture them. I couldn't convince them um, of my true concern. To my fish, I was deity. I was too large for them. My actions, too incomprehensible. My acts of mercy, they saw as cruelty. My attempts at healing, they viewed as destruction. To change their perceptions, I began to see would require a form of incarnation. I would have to become a fish and speak to them in a language that they could understand. A human being becoming a fish is nothing, he writes, compared to God becoming a baby. And yet, according to the Gospels, that's what happened at Bethlehem. The God who created matter took shape within it as an artist might become a spot on a painting or a playwright, a character within his own play. God wrote a story only using real characters. On the pages of real history, the word became flesh. <laughs> So we have to ask, again, why does John use that title, the word, for Jesus? I want to suggest this because Jesus is God's attempt to speak to us, to relate to us. Just as words convey a person's inner thoughts, Jesus, as the word of, of the Lord, expresses God's inner thoughts just as we use words to communicate and to to reveal what we're thinking and to to, to express ourselves, God did the same by sending his Son, the Word, to be the communication and the revelation and the expression of the Father. God's Word is not merely speech, but a person, a personal Word which became flesh at at a given time in history. Hebrews 1, the writer tells us, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the, these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. See, there was a time, the writer of Hebrews tells us, when God spoke audible words and his prophets then wrote them down. But now, God has sent his son, the audible, visible word, to be the communication and revelation and expression of the inaudible and invisible God. In Christ, we have God in a comprehensible way. Jesus is eternally God. He is Christ, the creator, Christ, the savior, God in flesh. Jesus is the word. And he came on that first Christmas morning to reveal God to us. Jesus, in John 14, 7, says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In other words, when you know the Son, you know the Father. So we have to ask our question, practically, I mean, what do we do with all of this? I mean, it's great theological, um, you know, thoughts and ideas and understanding, truths, but but what do we actually do with this? Well, listen, let me give you a, a simple recommendation. And that is this. If you want to know who God is, then start reading Jesus. Go to the Gospels and read the life of Jesus. And don't just read what he said, but also read about how Jesus interacts and and treats and, 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 and loves people. What do I find to be true about Jesus? Because when you find out what is true about Jesus, you'll find out what is true about the Father. For example, start with the Christmas story. One of the great truths that come out of the Christmas story is the idea that God is approachable. Think about the most religious traditions, right? I mean, fear is the primary emotion one has when one approaches God. Hindus offer sacrifices at, at temples. Um, Muslims, they, they bow so low uh, that their foreheads touch the ground. Even in the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, we read about the burning bush of Moses and the, the coals, the fiery coals of Isaiah. <laughs> and if anyone dare enter the most holy place in the Old Testament, the tabernacle or the temple, they would never come out alive. Yet at Christmas, think about it. God actually comes to us. And he doesn't just <laughs> Come to us with a a big entourage, or, or a raging, or in a raging whirlwind, or, 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 by riding on a cloud. But he comes to us as his, as his infant, as his baby. I, I mean, it, it blows my my mind when I think about it. Here was God, and, and there were probably more animals who attended his birth than there were people. <laughs> In Jesus, God found a way of relating to humans that did not involve fear. And later, as he hung on the cross, that curtain was torn in two, and Jesus became the bridge over the vast gulf between God and humanity. The word reveals to us that God is approachable. When you know the Son... You know the Father. Do you know the Son? Have you ever wondered um, if God cares about your measly life? <laughs> I mean, think about it. I, I, God, is sovereign, God of this universe, God, He has a lot of things to take care of, doesn't He? I mean, planets to manage, uh, weather patterns to be concerned about. Um, and listen, You're just one small, tiny person. (laughs) One person out of seven billion on this planet. Now, let me help you put that in context. Uh, Let's say that one in a billion is one second um, in time. I think I've worked this out. I'm not a good math person, but I think I've worked this out. If people are seconds and life was counted in time, then one billion would be 32 years. In other words, there are 1 billion seconds in 32 years. Which means that if there are 7 billion people on the planet, then you are just, think about this, you and I, we're just one second in 222 years. One second. <laughs> are you feeling small yet? So we wonder does God really care about me? <laughs> one second in. 222 years? And then I go to the Gospels and I read about Jesus, the Word. And Jesus is teaching and he's traveling all around Galilee. And one day he's walking along and, and a woman reaches through the crowd and, and touches his cloak and Jesus suddenly stops. And even with a crowd packed in around him, he stops and looks at her and blesses her. Because Jesus cares about her. Another story in the gospel is, you know, Jesus is walking through Jericho with another crowd is buzzing all around him, surrounding him, and yet he, he stops suddenly he looks up in a tree, and there is Zacchaeus, a thieving tax collector. And Jesus goes to the home of that sinner and sits down with dinner with him, and he blesses him because Jesus cares about him. Like son, like Father. God cares about you. When you know the Son, you know the Father. Do you know the son? Maybe you're here this morning you're dealing with a whole issue of, of forgiveness. There's some things you've done and, and you're not proud of it. It's caused you great pain, frustration, nightmares stress, quiet moments of your day or night, you know, you wonder whether God can even forgive you. But then you turn your Bibles and you read the account of how Jesus goes goes to the temple and a crowd again surrounds him and he begins teaching them. And then then some, some scribes and Pharisees, they bring this woman who's been caught in adultery and they shove her in the middle of that circle and ask Jesus what they should do with her. Should they stone her like the law says or should they let her go free? What'd Jesus do? Remember he ends up not condemning her instead what he does is he, he he sets her free because god forgives when you know the son you know the father do you know the son <laughs> maybe you wonder if if god can really use you <laughs> i mean you say I, I i don't have any special skills you know i'm not a good student of the Bible. I get all tongue-tied when it comes to sharing the gospel. God, can God really use me to serve him? Well, have you ever thought about who um, Jesus chose? (laughs) I mean, it wasn't the bold and the beautiful. It wasn't those who were politically connected or financially successful he chose fishermen and, and, and tax collectors and zealots. He, he, he chose ordinary guys and they, they, they changed the world. God, what he does is he employs ordinary people like you and me. <laughs> and God can use you. God wants to use you. When you know the son, you know the father. Do you know the son? Origin in the third century told... Of a village with a, a huge statue. So immense, so large, you couldn't exactly see what it was supposed to represent so large. Finally, someone miniaturized that statue so uh, so a person could actually uh, see it. So person, you know, that, that that statue it could be honored. Origin writes, that's what God. Did in his son Jesus the Word is a self-miniaturization of God, the visible image of the invisible God, he is the communication and revelation and expression of the Father. And listen, when you know the Son, you know the Father. Do you know the Son? Let's pray, Father God. Thank you. Thank you for your self-revelation, not only through Scripture, your Word here, uh, but through the Word, your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord God, I, I I pray that we might, each one of us, get to know you better by getting to know your Son better, who he is, Not only his words, but his actions and how he treated people. How he loved people. God, might we fall in love with your son. (laughs) So we'll fall in love with the father. I pray that in your son's precious name. Amen.